1: Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at
0: ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: Recorded at WeWork in Midtown Toronto, this is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, hosted by Adam Leventer. E2 is the podcast where great entrepreneurs tell their story. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak to all kinds of entrepreneurs, creators, and pioneers doing amazing things in business and beyond. This episode is brought to you in part by Unbound Merino. Unbound offers the highest quality antibacterial and odor-resistant merino wool clothing that helps you pack light when you travel, save money, and enjoy the comfort of incredible merino wool t-shirts, hoodies, and more. Visit unboundmerino.com. That's unboundmerino.com. Pack less, experience more. Today on the show is Farhan Thawar. Farhan is currently VP Engineering at Shopify after the acquisition of Helpful.com, where he was co founder and CTO. Among other things, Farhan is an avid writer and speaker and was recently named one of Toronto's 25 most powerful people. In this wide-ranging episode, we hit on a number of topics, including Farhan's journey starting and growing helpful, his philosophies and approaches to finding and hiring talent, the shortcomings of doing interviews, his rule ignore mindset, Shopify's unique work culture and the importance of building mental models, and much, much more. There's all kinds of interesting stories in this one, so stick around for the whole thing. And so with that intro out of the way, here is Farhan Thawar. So we'll start with Helpful, Um, the company you co-founded, which was recently obviously acquired by Shopify, which is where you are now. Uh, We'll we'll get to your role at Shopify a little bit later, but tell me about the origins of Helpful and and how do you explain that company?
0: Sure. So, I mean, Helpful was very interesting from an origin story because we really started with the team. So Daniel DeBow, my co-founder, and also David Party, um, we started off saying, what if we started off with a bunch of smart people? And we decided to go after an interesting problem that we were all passionate about. And the reason we did that was because in most situations when you want to start a company, you actually start with the problem first. Like you have like, here's a problem and we should go solve it because it's a problem we're passionate about and we want to make the world better by solving it. In this case, one, we didn't have one single problem. And that was the reason we didn't start with one is because we had so many problems. So Daniel, my co-founder, he's actually extremely good at observing the world and being unreasonable and un- impatient about why solutions to these problems that he's observing don't already exist. Mm-hmm. And by really good, I mean most of the problems that we went through actually did turn out to be businesses. And by many accounts, when he is able to spot these, either you know we were able to, in Helpful's case, spend time on trying to solve them, or someone else would also have either observed it and go and solve it. And many people, when I when I talk to him about Daniel, they're like, oh yeah, that guy has really high quality ideas around what problems to solve. So the reason wasn't because we didn't have a problem, uh, it was because we had so many problems that we wanted to go after. And and so we started off as a, let's, let's put the team together and let's spend time, we spent the first two months, actually methodically going through each of these problems and doing a deep dive. And a deep dive could have been anything from an hour on a problem to see what exists in the space, is it a real problem, what's the market size, how complex is the solution? Like all the way to like spending a week on a problem, diving super deep, talking to all the smart people we know in the space, uh, talking to actually venture capitalists who may have seen um, this problem before and are, are already thinking about funding something in this in this problem area. Mm-hmm. So that's how helpful started. It's not a nor like I said, it's not a normal starting off story. But by the end of the two months, we then then did decide to focus on one of those problems for the next year and you know, kind of give the overview of helpful. We had built three problem, three solutions over three years uh, before being acquired.
1: Yeah, one of which was the live interactive audio mm-hmm. product, right, called Dialog. Yep. Um, interestingly, has been used by, among others, I assume, Ben Stiller, yep. uh, CNN's Jake Tapper, Golden Globe winner Patricia Arquette. Mm-hmm. Um, of the products, you, you mentioned the three products that you guys built. Right. Um, of the three that you built, was this one your favorite or the one you're heart. most proud of?
0: I don't know. So... I, so I think, you know what's interesting is Helpful, I bet you if you ask that question, actually that's a great question, I should ask the, all the employees of Helpful, um, I don't think everyone would have the same answer. I think people have passions around different the different things that we build. So my favorite product that we built was actually Helpful Video. This was, you know, the easiest way to describe it, you know, five-second rule, it's yep. Snapchat for work. It's the ability to communicate in high bandwidth, high fidelity, using video and audio uh, at work. And we already see this, the reason I say Snapchat is because we already see this as something that Snapchat pioneered, right? If you look at folks in a certain uh, age demographic, they tend to use audio and video to communicate and imagery, right? If you watch somebody using Snapchat, they're not just sending funny vomit rainbows to their friend for no reason. They're sending it as a way to communicate their mood, where they are, what they're doing, who they're with. And they're doing it much, much more quickly than, they, than you can with uh, text. And our hypothesis was that, and our research shows, that any consumer communication medium eventually does come to the workplace, right? So if you look at, like, well, email actually started off in academia, now in the workplace. You have something like you know, IRC, which turned into Slack. Even what we're using now, Slack, um, Skype. Yep. Skype turned into these enterprise tools, right? WebEx, Zoom, the ability to video conference at work all came from consumer. So our hypothesis was that this will also happen at work. I still really do believe that this will happen at work, that asynchronous video, so sending short video clips or imagery will happen at work. I just think we had the timing wrong.
1: And this idea of sort of identifying problems, uh, many of which, as you mentioned, turned into actual businesses. Uh, Two questions related to this. The first one is obvious. Which businesses would people be aware of? Um, And and the second question, which I think is, is more important, is... How do you guys go about ranking these problems?
0: The interesting thing on on uh, on both of them is it's really hard to know whether something's going to become a big business or not, right? This is like famously documented by many, many companies where they start something and they're like, we had no idea that it was yep. this big, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the most famous one recently is Slack, right? They thought the entire market for enterprise chat was 100 million. And meanwhile, they themselves had 100 million in revenue in like the first two years or something. So it is it's notoriously difficult to figure out how big a market is going to be. That being said, we did have a framework. We actually used, there's a framework, I think, from zero to one, which talks about, you know, are you building technology that is 10 times better than the current state of the art? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you able to dominate uh, a, a small, are you able to get 100% like, you know, a monopoly in a small niche? So are you able to go after a very, very small market, but be able to own that entire market? So there's a bunch of these questions in zero to one that we used as our framework as we went through the ideas to say, Let's try to go ahead and build this. So, you know, some of the ideas that we had um, did turn into uh, businesses like unrelated to us. So, one, a few examples. One is um, we had both lived in condos and had then had moved to houses as we, you know, our families expanded. We uh, liked the idea of being in a condo because of everything's taken care of for, for you, right? You have a condo fee, but that condo fee goes to all sorts of maintenance around your building. It goes to long-term maintenance, like a, a roof replacement that might happen once every ten years. But then when you move into a house, all that, all that goes away. Like your water heater may go at any moment. Your roof may have a leak at any moment. Like you don't really have like a, a rainy day fund. You don't have any, You don't have a property manager walking around looking for stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we, we thought that this was an interesting market because we ourselves spent time maintaining our house but uh, didn't want to. We just thought, you know, I would pay, gladly pay, you know, in some cases, hundreds of dollars a month. To just have somebody keep track of the date of my water heater, my boiler, my furnace, the maintenance of my air conditioning. Um, and then handy jobs around the house, right? Like, and so we we spent time looking into this market, and it turns out actually a friend of mine, this is super random, who lives in Austin, Texas, because I used to live there, um, actually started a company called Super, like Get Super, like remember Superintendent? Yep. And he started a company to exactly this to attack this exact problem, and he recently raised like tens of millions of dollars to go after this. Uh, another example is Daniel felt that if you look at FaceTime today, that it is something that is quite cumbersome to use when you're at home, so. You know, if you have a, you have a grandparents look, trying to talk to your kids, you have to set up an iPad and the kids are running around and I'm always moving the iPad to kind of follow the kid around. And what he said was like, this should be so much easier. It should literally be like a device that could, you know, either has a wide angle lens and can just zoom in onto the, where the kids are doing or the parent or the parent could be like walking through the house doing laundry and still being like present. Like kind of like what the phone allows you to do with like a headset. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, a few years later, Facebook comes out with Portal, <laughs> right? Portal, which is like this. Great AI-powered video conferencing device that follows you around via its um, AI uh, zoom lens camera and allows you to kind of go about your day and continue to talk to your loved ones. And we're like, wow, this is almost exactly what we had envisioned in, in our deep dive. So there's many examples. I think we had done we had done a deep dive into, oh, oh, ISAs, income sharing agreements. So the idea that when you go to school, you shouldn't pay to go to school. You should actually go to school for free. And impl- um, the school should take a cut of your future earnings. Instead, mm-hmm. because that's that's aligning the school with the outcome. Today, if I spend a hundred grand and do a history degree and don't get a job that allows me to pay back that loan, the school made the school made money, right? The incentives are not aligned. Versus, mm-hmm. if I do a history degree and go out into a field and um, I'm only paid, you know, let's say forty thousand dollars a year, well, the the school should get a percentage of my income um, because I went to that school, but it wouldn't be disproportionate to the amount of income that I'm able to receive with that degree, and so. Um, what's interesting about income sharing agreements is they're super popular now. Um, there's a company called Lambda School, which allows you to go to school for two uh, for nine months, and then they take, uh, I think, 17% of your income for the first two years, up to 30K. There's there's many other examples. This is the one I know, but there's so many examples of schools starting to think about how can we align what we're teaching, and not just the subjects, but also how we charge to what the um, student gets out of it at the end.
1: Okay. Uh, One more question about Daniel. I know that if my memory serves me correctly, there's an interesting story behind how the two of you met, right? At a conference.
0: So uh, in, oh, I think in 05 or 06, the Toronto community was really um, trying to get going on, like building a tech community. It was very early in the, um, in Toronto's ecosystem around tech, of course, Silicon Valley, um, very famous for like networking and getting people together, but Toronto was in its early days. And this conference started called Mesh. And I was at uh, Microsoft at the time and actually ended up being one of the um, title sponsors from Microsoft to sponsor Mesh because I also was very excited about getting a Toronto tech community uh, kickstarted in Toronto. And Daniel was one of the speakers. So now I had kind of known about Daniel from the community because he's uh, quite the entrepreneur, right? He had been on the founding team of Workbrain. At that time, he had just founded Ripple, a new company. And I just really wanted to meet him. And so what was um, funny about that was he was just about to walk up on stage to do his talk. And I kind of followed him up the stage, like followed him up the stairs, and he kind of looked at me and said, What are you doing? And I said, Oh hi, I just wanted to meet you. <laughs> and he was he was like, What do you mean? Like I'm about to speak. Um so he's kinda of a little flustered because he was about to start speaking to a group. And I just said, Hey, I just want to quickly meet you. You work with somebody named James Blair. We work together at Trilogy, and I just wanted to say hi. And right that moment he knew that he wanted to spend more time talking to me, and so he grabbed his co-founder and he said, um, David, talk to Furhan while I do this talk.
1: <laughs> so intercepting yes. your uh, future co-founder is right. The, the right way to to find someone when you're thinking about starting a business, right?
0: I don't know if you know the story about how he tried to convince me to come join Help, start helpful with him. But no. That was also oh, okay, so it comes full circle. So ten, almost a ten full years later, right? If I did this in '05 or '06, he in 2015. We were chatting because he was coming to the he was at Salesforce and I was at Pivotal after um, both of us after acquisitions mm-hmm. and he was getting ready to start his next thing. Um, we were supposed to meet on a Friday and on the Thursday night, my son middle son was throwing up all night and so I texted Daniel in the morning said, Hey Daniel, I can't meet today. My son's been throwing up all day uh, all night, so let's reschedule. And most people, this is the cool thing about Daniel and people who are you know assertive, most people would say no problem, <laughs> right? That is not what Daniel says. Daniel <laughs> says, what are you doing now? And I said, I'm taking my son to the doctor. And most people, again, would say, okay. He said, where's your doctor's office, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's a total Daniel move. <laughs> and he was serious, and he met me at my doctor's office. And then he, we sat on my deck in the backyard while my son was kind of recovering, and he pulled out a laptop and a PowerPoint uh, that said, Farhan plus Daniel, and he pitched me on why we are starting a company together. Wow. Yeah, like that. That's an amazing
1: story. That that's that's better than your uh, stage interception. I got to say. I know.
0: Well, this shows you that I was first stalking him, and then he was stalking me. So, (laughs) (laughs) but it's uh, but it just shows you that in most scenarios, right? Ninety-nine point nine percent of the people would have said okay at that first text. Oh, let's reschedule. And Daniel instead said, "We're still meeting," right? And not in a not in an asshole way, right? Not in a. I didn't look at it and go, "This is weird." I looked at it and said, "This is awesome." I go, this is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of person I want to work with.
1: As you guys started to build out this team, you have, uh, you said, of course you started with a the team. Then of course the, the team grew from there. How did you go about in interviewing people and and how did you find and hire the right talent?
0: I have a, a lot of opinions about interviewing and, and hiring in general. And one of the things that I'm a big fan of is using, like, I'm not a fan of proxies and I would consider interviews a proxy. Like you're You're looking at some information to make a determination as to whether, you know, spend, let's spend three, four hours with somebody and determine if they can, you know, spend years with us. And I'm not a fan of proxies because I feel like they are mostly, um, they're summaries, right? But also they are um, misleading because they can be filled with bias, right? And so I actually call this like the, the Nickelback problem, which is, you know, let's in this, in today's world of online dating, right? The Nickelback is a very polarizing band. There are people who love it and people who hate it. And if you on your dating profile wrote wrote Nickelback is your favorite band, that would probably exclude you from a lot of people because it's such a polarizing band. <laughs> but yep. if if after 6 months of dating somebody, they found out that you like Nickelback, it's probably not a big deal. Like not as big a deal as like a deal breaker like they wouldn't even meet you, right? It would be like a oh my god, I can't believe you like Nickelback, but like maybe it's an annoyance point, but it's not a deal breaker at that point. And so what I find interviews do is they just heighten all these little deal breakers. Like I can't believe that person wearing white socks and, you know, black shoes and like, there's all kinds of little things that are unconscious in many ways, right? A lot of times even, you know, people tend to like people who are like them, even the unconscious bias around um, not hiring a diverse team because you're trying to, you end up hiring people from the same school you went to. Like all that stuff kind of creeps in. Mm-hmm. And so what I tried to do is reduce the bias. And the way I found the easiest way to reduce the bias is reduce the interviewing, like reduce the interviewing almost to zero. And so one of my, tricks, techniques was can we just hire people with a very, very lightweight filter and let's actually look at the work. What if we looked at the work that somebody produced over 30, 60, 90 days and use the work as the real proxy, it is still a proxy because it's not years, but can we use that as a proxy to whether they'd be a good fit for our company? Uh, I would bring them into the company and then I would make sure that it it was, we were able to give them the 30, 60, 90 day feedback, like they were getting um, feedback about us as a company, we were getting feedback about them as a as a somebody working at the company, and at the 90 day mark or before, we'd make a determination: hey, is this a fit or not a fit? And I have an example from Helpful that I, mean, I think it was quite instructive, right? Like we we hired I didn't we were hiring machine learning people because we were doing a bunch of stuff in machine learning for our first product. I hired somebody who had a PhD in machine learning. They taught at the university, like all the things that you would want from a person, right? They were actually also an internal referral from another employee. Like it was all the positive signals, and then there was another person. Um, Actually, I'll I'll tell you the funny tenacity story about this person. But this person, I actually just literally just found like on the internet, right? Like no machine learning degree, just interested, not even a software engineer, like all the wrong things, right, (laughs) for machine learning. We brought both people in, and within within 60 days, it was quite clear that Mr. Just interested and didn't have any uh, software was like the right fit, and uh, the other person who was PhD, taught at university, had done this role before, and was a referral was not a fit for the company. And only through the work, right? Only through having them work work on problems at our company, were we able to figure that out. By not interviewing, I had nothing to look back on. I was kind of like, I don't know this person from anybody. I have mm-hmm. no idea who this is. Instead, let's just look at the work. And when the, when we looked at the work, even the person said, Hey, it was it was pretty obvious when I you know had that final meeting. I sat down with him and he was like, Oh yeah, it was pretty obvious that I wasn't a fit here. In terms of hiring, we of course did the things like you know referrals and some job postings and hired interns, but I tried to b- have a very, very light filter. And based on that filter, if they did well in the first 90 days, they could stick around. And if they didn't, uh, we would help mutually um, help them find something else. And I did this at scale at my previous company. And we were able to, I think, determine that about 85% of the people would make it to the 90 days. And once they did, like there was very, very low attrition after that, like less than 1%, especially in the software industry was was phenomenal.
1: Okay, so the counterpoint to this um, if I can think of one, is that it can be potentially expensive to bring a bunch of people in the front door with this lightweight filter you're describing, allow them to work there right, for 30, 60, 90 days, and then yep. have to trim fat.
0: We we never hired five people to get two. Like We yeah. always hired as many people as we wanted, as we needed. Got so it. my goal was always, I hope everybody makes it through. And that's why we gave them feedback along the way to help them make it through the process there are many times where i'd i'd say hey just fyi here's the feedback so far and the person would change their behavior and they would do great like it was not a it was not a horse race let's get five to get two that never happened it was always let's get as many good people as we can find so that was number one and then so on the expense side i don't think that's there on the i mean one thing that people some people say is that it's disruptive Mm -hmm. to the company to bring people in like that now my my um retort to that is, is is just as disruptive like doing eight hours of interviews like if I, if you do eight hours hours of interviews you do eight hours and I do like 15 minutes and we both bring in five people and both of us realize that only three should stay like the disruption is the same
1: mm-hmm.
0: the difference was is that I saved eight hours on interviewing and maybe I spent that eight hours in the 30 60 90 but I think my data is better than yours because mm-hmm. I'm using real work data versus interview data so I think a lot of the you know when you think through the problem is I wrote a long article about this uh-huh. um, but um, it does tend to not be the norm. And the norm is let's copy Google, Facebook, Amazon. Let's do, let's do interviews like everybody else. And so I was just like, well, let's try this.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the the Google, Facebook, Amazon or whatever, I mean, it's it's actually more interviewing, right? They're advocating yes. for more yes. rounds of interviews, four, right. five, six rounds.
0: Yeah. Even more. Like, I mean, I spent, I did Amazon interviews in '05. I think I spent uh, seven, seven, eight hours, like outside of the phone calls, like just seven, eight hours on site going through a bunch of interviews.
1: Have you advocated for this internally at Shopify? <laughs>
0: Good question. So I definitely have a lot of opinions about recruiting in general. There's been a lot of success there. And can we, you know, I would say the, the net effect would be, is there a way to shorten the amount of time it takes for us to find great people at Shopify? So I'm spending a lot of time on that, but we are nowhere close to like, Hey, we should, you know, we should just not, uh, interview people.
1: Talk to me about your, this might be related and maybe not, but, um, your rule ignore mindset, <laughs> Okay. what does it mean and, and, and how do you apply it in this context?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think. What it mostly means is I try to take things from first principles. So if, you know, actually, maybe I'll tell you a funny story. So I went to, um, I went to a career, this is many years ago, I went to a career fair many years ago, and I went with another, uh, another employee, this is from Extreme, And we went to a career fair at U of T, and we forgot all our stuff, like all of our booth collateral, and all these booths were very beautifully designed around us. They had t-shirts, they had posters, they had flyers, and all kinds of stuff. We got to this career fair, and we had nothing. And because we were doing mobile apps, luckily we just had our phones. We had two phones each. We put our phones on the table and we started talking to people. And because I, you know, not a big fan of interviewing, what I did was I just, as people were coming up, I was just hiring them on the spot. Like I would talk to them, I would kind of, I would give them a little bit, like I said, a low coding problem. They would come back and I would just hire them. Now, now there's a longer story, but the short version of the story is, at the end of the career fair, everybody was packing up their booths. You know, we're talking to each other, right? How did it go? What'd you do today? And I talked to people, I said, how did it go? And they said, hey, I gave away 100 T-shirts. And then I asked another booth, how did it go? And they go, oh, I got you know, I got 50 resumes. And they said to me, how did it go? And I said, I hired seven people. <laughs> right, like,
1: yeah.
0: the, the rule ignore was like, the rule of career fairs is to get resumes or to give T-shirts out or to give out flyers or to do brand awareness. I didn't care about that. My goal was hire people. So I went to the career fair and I came back and people said, how did it go? I'm like, I hired seven people. Like, that sh- the only thing that mattered was hiring seven people. It didn't matter, I didn't have my booth gear, it didn't matter. I didn't have my posters. I didn't give out T-shirts. And what's funny is, not funny maybe, all seven showed up on Monday morning. Not one of them even asked me about compensation. Wow. And, and I mean, a little trick about that was, what they, I think was happening with their, in their minds is they said, wow, this company moves so fast. Like this interview process was so fast. I bet you the whole company moves this fast. Mm-hmm. I want to work there. And so, you know, the rule ignoring part of me is like, what's the goal? It doesn't matter what you're supposed to do. But if your goal is to hire... Are you sure you were successful if you gave out a hundred t-shirts? Like, is that really the goal? Your goal
1: is mm-hmm. to work uh, or constantly work with the smartest people in a high bandwidth way. Right. Right. I think that's what you've mentioned to me in the past. Yep. Um, how do you do this? How do you put this into practice and how do yep. you reach that objective?
0: Okay. So I think this is a great topic because this came up on Twitter. Like I think last week or the week before where somebody said you should always work at small companies or something like that. And I think what happens in these cases like so it's, gr- it's great that you brought that up because the reason you brought that up is because I have like a framework I used to figure out how I want to spend my time and my framework question one is are you surrounded by the smartest people you can find in a high bandwidth way and high bandwidth way means do you interact with them often hopefully in person right like I'm sure um, Elon Musk is super smart and um, I would love to work at Tesla but do I get to interact with Elon Musk every day? Right? In a high bank way, probably not, not for what you know, what I'm doing. So I think that's the 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 linchpin, the, mm-hmm. your current environment. And what's interesting about the way people think is they go, well, I could I'm gonna work at a small company because maybe I'll be around those smart people more. That could be true, but it's not necessarily true. I meet lots of folks who are working at big companies, small companies, medium companies, starting a company, joining a company, like and if they're not concentrating on the right things, they may end up in a suboptimal scenario. So my example, here's a good example, even starting helpful, okay, after Pivotal, after I was leaving Pivotal, I actually made a list of all the unreasonable product vision people that I could think of, because I'm like, I want to work, I know what my strengths are, my strengths are, you know, on execution, on hiring, on running engineering teams, my, my strengths are not an unreasonable product, like how the future should look, actually, there's a few people, a great, a lot of people in the city who are really great at that, not me, so I wrote down that list, I said, how do I get myself around these people? Number one on that list randomly was Daniel, which worked out because then he stalked me. Mm-hmm. But um, in order for me to work with Daniel in a high bandwidth way, the only option was to start a company because Daniel was starting a company. I had no other way to work with Daniel, right? So that's actually how we how we started the company. Now, as we grew our products and as we grew helpful toward, in 2018, I spent, actually over the last few years, I spent time with another person who I, who I got to know uh, very intimately was jml Uh, he's the uh, cto of shopify and as the you know as we were building stuff at uh helpful i was like wow i can count on my on one hand less than two or three people who are senior engineering leaders who i can learn from who i'd want to work with in a high bandwidth way jml was one of them so now the right optimal place for helpful was to be inside shopify right so from a uh, learning perspective I've been lucky that I've been able to kind of have a framework and then use the framework to make my decisions. Now you're asking questions, like, how do you do these things, right? Like, how do you start a company or how do you end up? Like, I think a lot of people, they're not rule, like you said, you mentioned rule breakers. Like, here's a good example. I met somebody who said they really want to work at Google. They said, I said, okay, you want to work at Google. What have you done to want to work at Google? Maybe, maybe their framework is, is sound or not. I don't know why they want to work at Google, but they said they want to work there. So I said, okay, what have you done? Well, what they did was they emailed careers at Google. Like that is not the activity or actions of somebody who wants to work at Google, right? You want to work at Google? Did you go to the info session? Did you go on LinkedIn and find all the people you know that are connected to somebody at Google? Did you go to the Google cafeteria? Did you, do you use Google's products and did you message all the people who are in product management roles about all the improvements you, you could make? Did you go on Twitter. Did You do like, like there's so many activities you could do before coming to me and saying that I've exhausted everything. I, I can't get a job at Google. Like there are like literally maybe hundreds and hundreds of things that you could do. This is where uh, a lot of people um, are not willing to put in the effort to, to be like, hey, I think you know, jobs kind of come to me. And I don't think that's how the world works, right? Daniel came to my house and presented a PowerPoint that he made, right? This is Daniel who was on the founding team and had sold two companies, right? Why is he doing that? Because that's what's required. And I think that's what people miss.
1: This goes back to your earlier point about career fairs, right? Historically, yes. career fairs have been a certain way, right? Yep. People fit into that box of not thinking about career fairs in any other way but what they're used to
0: right you haven't seen me at a career fair right (laughs) it doesn't look it doesn't look like a normal person it looks like a crazy person in a booth because that's me i'm like why am i here i'm Mm -hmm. here to hire people okay what are all the things i can do to to learn about people talk to people help them figure out if shopify is i mean in this case shopify is a good place for them to be is there a mutual fit like All those things, like like do it all the way, right? Nassim Taleb has this great quote, right? Like sprint or walk, never jog. Mm -hmm. Like Don't do it halfway. You want to work at Google? Do all the things.
1: What do you think are the biggest entrepreneurial myths right now that are being tossed around in the startup scene?
0: A big thing right now is that like being an entrepreneur is the way to get rich. Mm -hmm. That is the number one myth, right? It is, uh, I think somebody said, I think there was somebody had said maybe it was Twitter that said uh, I work. I I started my own company so I could work 100 hours a week so that I don't have to work for somebody else for Mm -hmm. 40 hours a week or Mm -hmm. something like that. Like Mm -hmm. it gets way more work, and I think on balance, it's also they say that if you look at the stats, you'll end up over your lifetime as an entrepreneur likely making less than you would if you just worked for somebody. Mm -hmm. So I think one myth is that you have to start a company, or that you have to be an entrepreneur. Or you have to join an early stage company. Like, I think all those are myths. Mm -hmm. I think each person needs to think about what it is they're trying to learn and optimize from. And that could mean joining an amazing team at a large company, small company, different domain from what they're in, different city, different role. Like, all those, all these areas. Actually, Shopify does a really good job of talking about this. We call this the jungle gym. Like, it's not a career ladder, it's a jungle gym. You're going up, you're going down, you're going sideways that's how you should think about your career. Actually, Daniel calls this a career stumble also. Mm -hmm. It's this idea that there's, it's so hard to like plan out your whole life and say, well, I'm going to do this then this, then I'm going to work here. Then I'm going to be working sales. Then i will be a director. Then I'll be a VP. Like that's not how it works.
1: So myth number one, uh, entrepreneurship is the best way to create wealth. Um, what else are you seeing?
0: Myth number two. I mean, this one's being debunked now, but that you have to go to Silicon Valley. (laughs) Okay. Right. Like, that's that that was that's been, I mean, I still see some people talking about this. They're like, oh, you have to move to the Valley. I'm like, really? Are you crazy? Like, that's not true. There are so many smart people and smart teams all over the place. Like, look at Shopify. I mean, it's Ottawa. Yep. Right? You wouldn't have thought that Ottawa could have this amazing ecosystem, but it does. And people came out of the woodwork and people moved to Ottawa and people stayed in Ottawa for Shopify, right? Like, it's, a, it's an amazing example of that. And we're seeing the same thing happen in lots of cities, right? It doesn't have to be Silicon Valley, but it still seems to be the prevailing myth. Um, that you have to move there, right? Now, one thing that I think is a a better framework to think about is where do you go to recharge your ambition, Hmm. right? It's something Toby talks about, uh, CEO of Shopify, which is, you know, Daniel and I talked about this. I'm like, we have to go to San Francisco once a month. He's like, why? I'm like, because we come back with all this energy. Yeah. And so there is this idea of where should you go in order to have big ambitions, not go for bronze. Yeah. And, um, I do believe that you do have to travel sometimes to see that whether it's New York, whether it's China now, I know for me, it's still San Francisco, right? I meet mean, with lots of smart people, I'm like, wow, I get reinvigorated. Um, and so maybe you need that, but you don't have to have your company there.
1: Okay. Shifting gears. I want to talk about Shopify. I know we've only okay. got 10 minutes or so left. So you've been at Shopify as yep. VP of engineering for almost a year, correct? Seven months, seven months. Okay. So what's your experience been like so far? And has it been an easy transition coming from what was essentially a startup?
0: Yeah. So it's funny. This is a very popular question (laughs) that I get asked. Um, I mean, a few comments. One is I've been acquired before, right? So um, in 2013, I was an early employee at Extreme Labs, right? We were only 10 people when I joined and we were acquired at 350. And then we got acquired by Pivotal, which is 2,000 people. So I've been acquired before a different scale, Mm -hmm. but I've joined like a company that had thousands of people. So not super unfamiliar with that, and Shopify from that perspective is similar, right? Shopify is like four thousand-ish people, and so not that much different on the on that front. The differences, though, inside the company are quite drastic, right? Um, one, it's like you know super fast growing. It's got it's Canadian, right? So I don't have to go to San Francisco every two weeks. Instead, I'm going to Ottawa more often. Mm-hmm. They've got a really entrepreneurial spirit in company because they're we're enabling entrepreneurs every day to to um, gain their independence, and so. It's the mission of the company aligns with a lot of the missions of the people. Actually, one interesting factoid for you is I meet lots of employees who will say, I'm like, how long have you been at Shopify? They're like, oh, I've been on Shopify for two and a half years, but I just started at the company four months ago. Mm. Like they have a store that they've been you know, on Shopify for for, for many years, but they just started the company. So a lot, of, a lot of it is the alignment of the entrepreneurial spirit of the people with the company. But I would say it's a very humbling place, right? It's obviously very successful, lots of smart people, lots of people have been there a long time and they they've gathered all this institutional knowledge um, and there's a lot of amazing things going on inside the company um, that uh, make you proud to be there now one thing I'll say that they've done a really good job on is they have lots of amazing internal tools like to help you get up to speed right like you can imagine in a lot of companies we have they have a wiki they have a wiki at Shopify but they also have' a, like a like a they have lots of internal podcasts they're using the medium we're using now they're using that as a way to help people get up to speed on various topics and I find it um, in general, to be a great way to consume information. But now, as somebody onboarding into Shopify, an extremely high bandwidth way to gain information.
1: Mm-hmm. And culture-wise, hmm. how do you describe the company's working culture?
0: I mean, one, it's an extremely diverse place. There's lots of people from lots of different walks of life. There's a, there's a saying, I think, that says, if you're going to a meeting, the more different the lives of the people leading up to the moment where they enter the room, the better the meeting will go. And at Shopify, it's actually uh, totally true. Everybody comes from so many different places and countries and languages and backgrounds and ages and everything. That it's definitely been uh, eye-opening. That like what you what it could be. Like I'm not saying it's the best, but uh, in the world, but it's definitely it's it's aspirational to see that because a lot of companies I've been at before were not as diverse as this. So I think that's great. Um, From a culture perspective, like I said, it's very open and honest and and very it's a very sharing culture, right? Like every Friday we have a town hall where different groups uh, share and talk about what they've been working on They're right now. We're in the middle of something called hack days, where for, I think it's three times a year, we take three days off. And by off, I mean, you're still working, but you're not working on your regular job. You're working on something else. And so you might end up working on a new side project. You might write a blog post. You might figure out a new way to do something. You might spend time with the merchants. Like it's whatever you want to do for the three days. That is not your normal job. Mm-hmm. And there's a, an amazing, um, capacity to take these, uh, this amount of time, like imagine there's 4,000 people, three days, right. And spending all that time doing something not related to your job, but it has these longer term benefits.
1: Have you gotten a chance to meet with or work with Toby directly?
0: Yeah. I mean, I've known, I've known Toby for a few years and as part of the process and also as part of being at Shopify, we get to interact Mm -hmm. and obviously a super sharp person. Mm -hmm. I would say there are many people at the company who, you know, use like, what the executive team, how, like how they think about problems. There's an executive book bar where where the executives share all the different you know reading um, that they're doing. So I think it's in everyone's interests and everybody. I see everybody doing it, thinking the way that you know it started with Toby, but now it's expanded to all sorts of people. The company we're trying to think in like mental models and think longer term. It's actually one of our values, right? Think long term, build for the long term, be merchant obsessed. So actually think in terms of like what we're building for our merchants. I think that comes from Toby, but it's permeated throughout the company.
1: Speaking of building for the long term, the Financial mm-hmm. Times article posted a couple of days ago, uh, mm-hmm. certainly created a lot of buzz. I think it's titled now bigger than eBay. Shopify oh, right. sets yeah. its sites on Amazon. Right. Um, this is in regards to Shopify's plans to move into logistics. Mm. Um, what's the buzz in the office about about this and what's your take on it?
0: Yeah, well, I think we're always trying to democratize commerce, right? And so... If you have to be at the you know, $100 million plus revenue run rate per year in order to then offer like two day shipping, yep. that really limits the amount of people who can participate in that kind of economy. So our view is, how do we give everybody the tools to run, the, you know, be an independent, uh, you know, in this case, be an independent business, have, have your own livelihood. How do we give everybody those tools? And so the introduction of fulfillment allows everyone to offer shipping like the big players and i think that's why there's a lot of buzz is because it's really like you know if you look at there's just really two models right either central or decentral Mm -hmm. and we really want to be decentralized we want to allow everybody like we're the we're the brand behind the brand right like go to all these go to all of our uh, merchant stores like you don't see powered by shopify you just see the store you don't even know it's powered by shopify right like and i think that's the power of what we're building we're allowing anybody to go out there build an amazing business, maybe gain their independence from this business. And now we're offering them even more capability uh, in the, in the ways of shipping. And so I think it's super exciting. And I think there is uh, so many things that, um, that we're trying to do in that ethos of like giving the early, you know, early merchants the opportunity to be like the big players.
1: What do you think Toby's unique ability is as a <laughs> CEO?
0: That's a very interesting question. I mean, in my like, like, i have mean, just only been here a few months. Um, interactions with him, he's definitely one of the longest-term thinkers um, I've ever encountered. Right, meaning he's always thinking about not just the first-order effects of something, but the second and third and, and tertiary effects. And so. I found that extremely inspiring because he's always thinking about the long term. Like he's very, he's not very what's happening this week, what's happening there. It's like he's really like what's going to happen when we if we do this and this and this, what's what's that going to mean over the next few years? Um, so I think that's that's really inspiring. But the other superpower is that he's an engineer, right? He's very like very uh, technically minded mm-hmm. and very you know he built the first versions of Shopify, so he's got a lot of you know historical context there. And I think that comes through because we're using technology to enable all of the things that we're enabling with our merchants. And I think that that doesn't that is not necessarily true of every company where you have somebody that technically deep at the helm.
1: Do you think there's some this sort of reservation? I guess there isn't. But uh, would there perhaps be some reservation in bringing on folks like yourselves who have founded companies before, not yeah. once, uh, sometimes numerous times? and then right. bring them internal, bring them into right. Shopify's environment and hope that you guys stay there and help them build you know, Shopify's next phase.
0: In many ways, this doesn't line up with a lot of companies because they're not companies that are actually serving entrepreneurs, right? Like Shopify is literally serving entrepreneurs. Like that example I gave you before where when I when I meet people around the company and they'll say, oh, I've been on Shopify for two and a half years, but I've only been at Shopify for four months. Yep. Um, that's a testament to the fact that entrepreneurs will like use Shopify and then realize that their mission aligns with the mission of Shopify. And so they actually will come in as an alignment exercise versus as something that that they're begrudgingly coming into, right? Right. So I think it's a testament to to them. I think Satish, who's the GM of of channels, he tweeted out something around the fact that his company got acquired in 2013, and I think it was 20, I'm, I'm making numbers up, maybe it's 25 people, let's say? that 23 of them were still at Shopify, right? Like something like some uh, crazy high percentage. Like, that's amazing. That's literally amazing that you can have like an entrepreneur and their whole company come and then everybody's still there or most people. Like, so I think that there's value alignment. Like, don't forget, there's value alignment in what we're all trying to do.
1: Related to what you said earlier about the importance of mental models at Mm -hmm. Shopify, when when do you think is the right time to teach your kids about mental models or have them practice certain mental models?
0: That is a really good question. I don't know if there's a particular time, but I know that there are like, there are already things we do with the kids that are like, you know, their systems mm-hmm. that we do. Right. So, you know, they come home every day and they, hang, they hang up their backpack in the same place. They, we have a they have calendars in their rooms that they check in the morning when they get ready. So there's systems that they already know. Like if, if your pajamas are on the rack, that means you're going to wear them again. If the pajamas are in the laundry, obviously you get a new pair of pajamas. Like there's, they're always, they're little mental models that, that already happen um, as, as, as the, you know, as we are doing things around the house. I mean, one, one, somebody said this saying to me, and I think it really resonates is that, um, don't worry if your kids are listening to you, just worry that they're watching you. And what, like, to me, that means is that if we, you know, if you, if you just live your life and if you feel like you are, doing the things that you want to do, that you're like, you're happy, like you want to, you're, you're spending time the way you want to spend your time. I think your kids will see that, right? Like on the weekends, if I'm like, I tend to read, I, I still read magazines. So I read magazines on the weekend. And so if they see me reading and reading magazines, I feel like they know that I enjoy that. Maybe they'll, you know, without forcing them, maybe they'll enjoy reading magazines or reading books as they get older. And so that, you know, if I'm going to be outside with them and we're playing soccer together, maybe they feel like, okay, well, I enjoy soccer. Maybe they'll enjoy soccer. So it's more about that versus trying to force somebody to be like, Okay, you got to read from 9 to 9.30. Yep. Right? Less about that. Uh, and we'll tell them, hey, go upstairs. You can read if you want. And then we'll see. Some, one time some kid will read and another kid will not. Like We kind of give them the leeway to you know, own, their own, own their own time.
1: Thanks for Great. doing this, man. Great questions. And uh, we'll catch up soon. Hopefully at okay. Shopify. Maybe on the rooftop.
0: No. Yeah, the rooftop's <laughs> open.
1: All right, friend. Thanks again, easy. man. E2 is brought to listeners in part by Scriberbase. Visit Scriberbase.com for more info. Indochino, made to measure suits and shirts at a great price. More at Indochino.com. And WeWork, where businesses thrive. More at WeWork.com. If you like E2, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your audio. Leave us a review. Even become an exclusive supporter of the show. Visit glow.fm slash E2 to do so. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on.